Welcome to The Jolt. It's Friday the 2nd of February. I'm your host, Sam Morgan. Coming up later in the show, Kira's going to be joining me to look at the highlights from this past week and to give you a sneak peek of what we've got lined up for you next week. First, let's check in on what's been happening in the wider world of energy and climate. Ukraine will launch an emissions trading system in 2025. The Environment Ministry announced that the first year will be a pilot phase dedicated to monitoring and verifying emissions, before hopefully going all in on trading in 2026. The Ministry also announced that Ukraine hopes to wrap up talks on selling carbon offsets under Article 6 of the Paris Agreement to Switzerland and Japan. Proceeds from those sales will be used to make green investments in the reconstruction of the country. The United Kingdom's emissions trading system is flagging. The carbon price fell to a record low this week, triggering fears that it will stifle green investment as a result. Carbon permits at one point were trading at just £31.48 a tonne. That's just over €36. Analysts have blamed mild winter weather that has slowed industrial demand for extra pollution permits. The EU system is only fair and slightly better. Permits are worth around €64 per tonne. Tech giant Google will buy more than 700 megawatts of clean energy via new bumper power purchase agreements. The deals will help support brand new wind farms in the Netherlands, Belgium and Italy, as well as a solar park in Poland. When implemented, Google's operations in all four countries will run on around 90% carbon-free energy. Notably for the Belgian and Italian agreements at least, that clean power will be purchased on an hourly local basis, increasing the chances dramatically that the electrons used were actually generated by renewables. China revealed how many electric cars have been sold in the first month of the year, an incredible 600,000 vehicles. That's a 92% increase year-on-year for January, and puts into perspective the news we brought you earlier in the week that the United States sold more than 1 million EVs in a year for the first time. China's e-car maker BYD has signed a preliminary agreement to build a factory in Hungary, the details of which are still being kept closely under wraps. US President Joe Biden will reportedly offer $1.5 billion in funding to restart a shuttered nuclear power plant in the state of Michigan. The loan is set for federal approval this month, Bloomberg reports. Closed in 2022, the Palisades plant can generate 800 megawatts, and its business case has been shored up recently after a local utility company agreed to buy around two-thirds of its output. If the government deal does go through, it will be the first nuclear plant to receive financial backing from the Biden administration. Staying in North America and in more atom-smashing news, Canada's third biggest nuclear plant will be refurbished as part of a $1.5 billion program. The Pickering nuclear plant near Toronto was built in the 1970s, and this new update will extend its operating life by another 30 years. The government of the Ontario province is supporting the program and says that once completed, the plant will provide 2 gigawatts of power, and boost the local economy by $15 billion over the course of a decade. 
and Slovenia's government has agreed on a long-term energy strategy. Renewables and nuclear power are going to do most of the heavy lifting. Slovenia has one nuclear reactor that it co-owns with neighbouring Croatia. Later this year, the government will organise a referendum on whether to keep using nuclear and whether to build another reactor. If the public approves, then a final investment decision is expected in 2027. Croatia will be hoping for a positive outcome probably, given that the cross-border power supply meets about 15% of its power demand. That's it for your news updates today. Now it's time for our regular Friday feature as Kira and I look back at the big talking points for the week. Thankfully, both of us were able to avoid getting caught up in the many farmer protests that have taken place around Europe this week. So Kira, it's Friday again. We managed to survive uh, the tractor horde that hit Brussels this week, set fire to everything, made their point. Did your recording this week get interrupted by any uh, honking or anything? I think I was really lucky that I was doing the podcast on Thursday, so I already had to get up at six. Uh, It was actually, it was really cool alarm clock because I think when we talk about the tractors like blurring their horns, we think about, oh, you know, one horn sound but it's everything it was like a melodic combination it was like going to the theatre and then you had the sirens on top of it so for me personally it was fine because I already had to get up at that time (laughs) a friend was messaging me saying this is great because he loves any kind of big machinery and expensive uh, farm equipment and it's like no the latest model from John Deere I haven't seen this one yet okay so actually I'll say that the tractors are so clean I grew up around farms. I have never seen tractors that clean in my life. I think they all got a kind of wash to to come into Brussels. They pull on their finest to come into town. Busy week otherwise then as well, not just tractors, lots of energy and climate things. What was the most interesting or fascinating thing that you reported on this week? I think for me, it's always quite interesting when you have stories from around the world that line up in the headlines. You know, we try and find a pattern somewhere. And for me, yesterday, we had three stories about oil, one from Qatar, one from the UK, and one from Namibia. And it's interesting, the different country perspectives on it, like they all want it, but Namibia's approach is oil is still where we'll get our benefits, not renewables. And then you have other countries like the UK, which have faced a big environmental backlash for giving out new licences. And it's interesting that something which is fairly similar in just going out and finding more oil is perceived so differently in different countries. And I think as well, it would be, I would really recommend people to go and read the whole letter that the Namibia energy minister wrote, because it's a very interesting perspective of the COP28 agreement, probably not as happy with the renewables and with all the targets that you know, a lot of the world applauded as being good. And I think it's it's good to remember that those perspectives are out there. Yes, a reminder of that buffet dinner kind of list that we got from COP28 that, that Saudi, Saudi Arabia's energy minister said at the end. Well, it kind of ties into what I thought was quite interesting this week as well about the climate change committee back home in the UK basically telling the UK government, look, we've got COP28's agreement now. We need to be doing more. Your international reputation has taken a battering because of all this mixed messaging about issuing new fossil fuel licenses. You reported on the 24 new licenses for fossil fuel exploration. But I always find these CCC reports or statements quite interesting because of how 
to the point and sometimes blunt they are. This is a reminder that there is an organ of government or keeping tabs on government that does its job. And I think that committee does a really great job. And also they've got a lot of work to do this year. In June, they're doing this big stock take of where the UK actually is with its climate targets. They're working on the new carbon budget and a few of the things that we've done like with European Union policymaking where they have this new advisory body that we've reported on a bit. The idea is that it does that similar job, but we haven't quite seen that yet. So it'll be interesting, especially with what's going to happen next week. Precisely. Yeah, I think it's interesting with the Climate Change Committee that it has kind of been the front runner of these types of committees. And then the European Scientific Advisory Board on Climate Change, I think that's its full name. It actually has not come out of that, but it's kind of the younger brother of it. And we're now seeing that gain traction and work out where it is. And like you say, one of the big things that they've presented is what they want the 2040 target to be. And that creates a really interesting thing for Brussels and for Europe now, because before it was like the commission gave a number and, you know, you had environmental organisations saying it needs to be higher and, you know, maybe other people saying it needs to be lower. But you didn't really have someone going, this is what we think it should be when they're almost tied to the European Commission. So it did put a lot more pressure on the European Commission. And from the leaks we've seen, the European Commission will will go for the Scientific Advisory Board's 90% target. Yeah, it's amazing how they've almost pulled it off in a way and that Obviously, CCC is in a privileged position because it's one country, one government. And the fact that the advisory board has to keep 27 governments in mind, at least, it's definitely going to be interesting over the coming years to see how it affects policymaking, not just on the big stuff, but carbon budgets, different sectors, how it's all kind of regulated into one space. So that's, that's I think, something that's going to be really interesting to watch. The other bit of news that I am obsessed with, of course, as I mentioned it before, uh, the carbon border tax. CBAM that the EU has started now uh, hit its first teething problems. The first milestone was supposed to be the 31st, two days ago, when all the people that are involved with it are supposed to have reported their first couple of months of data. And they couldn't because the website effectively crashed. It couldn't handle the, the system. You know, there's always teething problems with new stuff, isn't there? It never goes to plan. I was looking into this and although people are like, yeah, it's annoying, there was a sense of, well, this is brand new and we knew there were going to be issues which is why this is the you know test period and why the commission is being flexible although <laughs> the commission being typical commission gave a completely unintelligible press release oh absolutely i had no idea what they were talking about what was your highlight in terms of the episodes we did this week was there anything in particular that really you enjoyed or what was particularly interesting? I think the, the piece I did on the text and grid and, and how it's developed since the 2021 issues that it had was really interesting for me. I mean, it's always nice to do a good news story, but it's also nice to be proved wrong. And I think because it's a bit out of the normal area that I followed, I was expecting it to be, oh, yeah, we've had these issues. This is going to be a problem. We need to do this now. And it was actually, speaking to um, Michael Lee from Octopus Energy, it was quite a positive story. And, you know, saying, okay, well, there is some stuff still to do, but the massive renewables that have now come onto the grid, there's smart meters everywhere. It's really interesting to hear how that grid is now able to cope with flexibility. But I think as well that the interesting thing is climate change does create more extreme weather. 
how are we going to adapt systems like the Texan grid to extreme weather? Because, you know, countries which wouldn't have experienced extreme heat, extreme cold, they're going to experience weather which they didn't have before. And so you have to update grids for that. And I think that's an interesting example of where they have just said, okay, well, we need to, I think the word he used was weatherize, which I didn't know could be used as a verb. But no, I think that that was an interesting thing to come out of it as well. Yeah, I mean, my favorite episode this week was definitely the one I did on um, steel making on Monday, comparing a brand new plant in Sweden that wants to make steel from green hydrogen with a steelworks back home in Wales that is basically closing up shop because the company that runs it can't afford to keep it open while it updates it. I mean, go back and listen to it. Anyone that's listening now that you haven't, I don't need to explain the entire episode to you. But in the meantime, the the cultural and social element of, of this story has gained momentum as well. Uh, one story that I read yesterday, um, the local rugby club, obviously it's a big part of Welsh culture, it's been in operation for more than 100 years. All the workers of the steelworks play there or go and watch games and things. They're worried that they'll have to stop because the jobs are going, there won't be any businesses, sponsors, that kind of thing. That kind of element of the energy transition and just transition, it's not always taken into account, I think, by policymakers. And it sometimes takes this kind of, I don't want to use the word disaster, but it is verging on that to really bring it home that there's more at stake here than just generating electricity. You know, it's generating people's lives and livelihoods as well. And it's going to be probably a bad couple of months for Wales because the Six Nations is starting in rugby and uh, we're not going to do very well. So my heart will split in two as usual. <laughs> so next week, what have you got to cook in for Jolt or otherwise? So I have a piece on how bad the issues in the Red Sea actually are for shipping and for energy supply. I don't want to give too much away, but I did the interview yesterday and it was interesting. I it kind of took me by surprise their analysis of it, that um, some areas were more affected than others, areas that I hadn't particularly thought of, but you'll have to listen on Monday to find out what those are. I think it's an interesting thing to look at because obviously both of us have, have reported on it for the headlines and the job, but we haven't really gone into actually what is going on in terms of the, the international markets and, and how this is going to affect everything. And when you look into stories a bit more, you kind of begin to find the nuances and where things will be affected and where they won't be affected. Oh, interesting. No, I look forward to that because like you say, it's you kind of just get a flavor of what's happening. And it's obviously quite interesting just to look at the oil tankers on fire and airstrikes happening in the Red Sea, but the actual impact on energy systems and things is is super interesting. All right, next week, I mean, I got to plug another podcast here, the Policy Dispatch that Foresight publishes as well. Uh, this one's going to be about ocean energy technologies, you know, tidal wave, this kind of thing. It's always felt like the forgotten child of the renewable sector almost. Obviously, you always hear about wind and solar because of how established they've become but I've always been a bit fascinated by all that potential in the oceans. I come from southeast Wales that has one of like the biggest tidal ranges in the world. And there's always been this talk about building barrages and tidal lagoons to power everything, but it's never really panned out. But this interview that I've done with someone in the sector basically says that things are coming along very nicely and soon there's going to be a lot of development. So that's going to come out on Wednesday. And also one of the jolts will look a bit more into ocean energy technologies as well. I think that is interesting, particularly as we begin to talk about space issues on land and actually 
how you can use the oceans, but how you can also use them in a way which is biodiversity friendly and doesn't get in the way of shipping and fishermen and all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, just as a sneak peek, one really interesting thing that came out in the interview was this idea of co-locating these big machines with wind farms. And one of the real advantages of that is that if you get the spacing right and you have these wave machines underneath the water, it prevents the waves from hitting the wind turbine pillars, which means that the wind turbines don't have to adjust as much to keep vertical, which means they generate more power because they're they're in the wind more often. So basically, if they can get the maths right and the architecture right, they can make wind turbines more efficient and generate all that extra electricity as well. That's really interesting. Is it ties into um, the job that we did with the Belgian North Sea Minister, where he was saying that Belgium wants to be the first country to have solar panels between wind turbines. My one question for it is, how do you get a maintenance boat out? Well, if you need to repair one of the turbines, but that's the thing, isn't it? No, I'm not working in the sector, so uh, it, it all comes back to, I guess, dress transition. Then you know, you need people who know how to operate boats and everything, fishermen. There are solutions to that kind of problem, nice solutions to nice problems in a way, I think, that generate jobs and make all this a bit easier. It just just takes a lot of organization and hopefully someone will listen to the podcast and realize that they have something to contribute to it and go down in the contribution section and tell us why they can uh, fix this problem as well. So um, I encourage all of the listeners to do that as well. Let us know what you think about this episode uh, and also the episodes we do during the week as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, actually, I had a couple of people give me some tip-offs for the Tecton grid, so I'm very grateful. So, yeah, the more we mention our stories, the more we get help, so we're happy. It's working already. Fantastic. Many thanks for joining us today. Kira will be with you on Monday, so tune back in then. From now on, the Jolt will only be available to non-members on Mondays and Fridays. If you start to miss us in the middle of the week, I'm sure you will, then subscribing and becoming a member of our growing community has never been easier or more rewarding. As an end of the week treat and as a reward for making it through January, have a month's free on us. Follow the link in the show notes for details. If you miss your fix of climate and energy news over the weekend, be sure to check out the latest episode of What Matters as well. Thanks once again to everyone at Foresight for helping to make the jolt possible and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt. Thank you.